Welcome once again to another episode of Invarious and Peckapalooza. I am Peckapalooza. We are two geeks who talk about everything. I'm joined, as always, by my cousin Invarious. Good day again. How are we doing? Here. I'm doing great. I know the kid, we don't have a visual uh, podcast right now, visual one, but I've revamped my office. I've got new digs. I'm really excited about it. Yeah, dude, it's it's lit up like uh, I was gonna say Christmas, but you got blue lights, so it's it's not really. Would, would you prefer red? Oh, fancy! You can or, change yeah. the colors. Or that's just like white. That's uh... very Samuel L. Jackson. <laughs> Thank you. I say that because it turned purple, ladies purple. and gentlemen, who cannot see what I'm seeing. But you might be able to eventually see. We're toying around with those ideas. We are toying with some ideas. Um, but let's not get to that. We, we've we've got some time before. Let's. We want to keep our listeners on the cusp of cliffhanger ship. I think so. <laughs> um, all right. Today we are getting into the weeds of what the heck has been going on with Warner Brothers. Uh, now. If you've been paying attention to entertainment news lately, you may be aware that um, that Warner Brothers, you know, the studio, the the people behind Looney Tunes and many of the movies that you have come to love over the past, what, 100 years, uh, the parent company of DC Comics uh, has uh, been through yet another merger, this time with Discovery which, of course, you recognize from the Discovery Channel and its various, you know, other cable holdings. Things of Discovery. You know. Right. Mm-hmm. You know, um, Fixer Upper House shows and, yep. uh, and yep. Honey Boo Boos and uh, 30 Day Weddings or something. I don't, I don't know. What are these reality shows that they, they consider educational at some <laughs> point? I Oh, I'm um, always educated if I buy one. I, I'm, I'm educated in ways I never thought I could be. So, you know. In ways I never wanted to be. <laughs> yes. Things that I was afraid to ask, and now I know why. <laughs> um, so, yeah, we, the history of, of Warner has gone from, like, I remember as a kid, they were Time Warner. You know, yeah. it, was, it yeah. was, that was their conglomeration. And then, uh, what was it, in the 90s? Uh, they merged with AOL. So then it was AOL time Warner. Yeah. Uh, that's right. And I don't, I don't know the, the whole history of, of this company and these mergers. I, I, I can't tell you all of it and I can't explain it all. And I certainly don't understand it all. Um, but I do know that whenever a merger takes place, especially like what has happened here with discovery, there are a lot of people who lose their jobs. Yep. In the name of, saving money yep uh so so what has happened here with discovery what what i've gathered from the many articles that i've perused over the last few weeks is that we've got a new ceo at warner discovery whatever they're calling themselves now uh his name is david uh, zaslov it's whiskovery now it's discovery whiskovery yeah whiskovery (laughs) whiskovery Yeah, um, that rolls off the tongue. It really know. doesn't. <laughs> uh, but you've got David Sasloff, who is the new CEO of this con- gigantic conglomeration of, of companies and media. 
And uh, he is he's coming at this with the experience of someone who previously was running things over at Discovery. So he's your guy you want to go to if you need a green light for a reality show. Yep. A Honey Boo Boo, a Duck Dynasty, a, um, uh, I don't know, Dance Moms or something stupid. Or if you want to completely obliterate and cut a project that hundreds of people have worked on, he's your guy. And if you've spent $90 million already <laughs> on a movie that people are actually looking forward to, yeah, let's and call what this movie, guy. What movie is that? That's, that's Batgirl. Batgirl. That's, Batgirl. So that's what, that's what really got my attention in all yep. of this. Me too. Uh, when news broke that uh, they were the this this CEO David Zaslav and and whoever his you know I guess uh, brain trust are uh, you know made this decision unilaterally to I mean first of all they cut tons of jobs at HBO Max yep and projects that have been in the works at HBO Max all just got cut including Batgirl, which was set to premiere on HBO Max next year. But in spite of investing $90 million in filming this thing, we were going to have Michael Keaton come back as Batman yep. in this movie. We had, oh my gosh, Leslie Grace, I believe, was the, the actress uh, who suited up as Batgirl. Uh, we were going to have the return of J.K. Simmons as uh, Commissioner Gordon. Yep. Uh, you know, after he had um, appeared in um, Justice League, and wasn't he in Batman v Superman too? Um, I don't, I don't remember seeing him in there. I just remember him from Justice League. I know he was in Justice League, but, uh, but maybe. So, so anyway, you, you had this movie, and it, it wasn't exactly like being poorly done. Like this yeah. was not. It's it's not as if they were setting out to make a direct to DVD type movie. Right. Just because it was going to a streaming service doesn't mean that they were, excuse the term, half-assing it. Yeah. And, and yeah, they were making a legit movie. And now, uh, because of this merger and the shakeups that have gone on there, that project has been canceled. Even well, though there's... they had filmed all of it. Like yeah, the they, filming they'd was all done. done all the it's filming. in pro it was in post production and they decided, you know, we're gonna shelve this thing. It's never gonna see the light of day in theaters and we're not gonna premiere it on HBO Max. It's just it doesn't exist anymore. You know, I mean I think there's a difference here too between analyzing just the potential uh reception of this movie based upon you know whether it would suck or not. You know what I mean? Like there could be people out there be like, well, better than to scrap it than to uh you know to put it out, you know if it was going to suck, you know, and, and maybe somebody looked in on it and was like, you know, this is not going to do well. This thing's going to bomb for sure. And that happens. But I think that the distinction here is that we're talking about all of these actors, uh, even the director, the pr producers, the, you know, the staff, you know, the entire crew for the film, you know, you're talking about you know, hundreds of employees, hundreds of people who not only I'm sure they got paid. It's just, it's, it's also the credit you know, the credit for the work that they did uh, and, and having a completed project. I think it's just ridiculous, you know, that they would scrap it. I mean, for if I was an actor, I would be like, yeah, I don't know that I'm going to work on. I mean, you might be like, I might work on something for Netflix, but, you know, I don't know that you'd be wanting to entertain something that could be scrapped like this after yeah. all the time that you put into it. I just I, I think it's horrible.
Well, and I'd certainly think twice about going back to doing a movie for Warner Brothers at this point. Yeah, for sure. I mean, what if? What if I go and, you know, I get cast in another role in some other movie for Warner Brothers, but then they decide, you know what, we're going to cancel this one too. Oh, yeah. another um, cast uh, member I forgot about, Brendan Fraser, was yeah. going to play Firefly as oh, the villain. Really? Yeah, yeah, he was going to be the villain in this one. So, uh, again, I mean, that's just a, a one uh, another name that, you know, has brand recognition, yeah. and, and you're just tossing them out with the bathwater. It just it makes I think, no sense to me. I think the other thing that, that gets me is talking about all the transitions with um, DC – you remember DC Universe was coming out, right? And and we had kind of gone through a period where they were going to everybody was climbing to try to have their own streaming service. This was pre HBO, and you know I signed up. You know, I mean, yeah. I I, oh, I yeah. was ready. You know, for it. I was like everything, everything DC in one place. And then you know, uh, uh, much like uh, you know Paramount uh, did its thing, uh, has, has its thing now, and um, you know Peacock has its thing now. But then you've also had these these morph, you know, these connections where, where different ones have merged together. Mm-hmm. And so naturally in that progress, DC on its own probably was not doing well. There's not enough of us, you know, that, right. that were enter, into it. And so the merger to go into HBO and be a part of HBO Max like that I, was wonderful. And it's allotted to be, hey, your one-stop shop for DC and you're going to have it all. Yeah. You know, and it was great. And they surely did. And then as things were on other streaming services like Netflix and they came off, they would then go on to HBO Max. And it was it was exciting. Yeah. And then now say no more. What 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 bothers me about the, the HBO Max stuff? Not all, I mean, yes, it's it's horrible that so many I don't I can't remember. I know I read the number of how many people lost their jobs. Um in association with HBO Max, with that streaming service. Um, but aside from that, looking at it from the entertainment value alone, HBO Max has grown itself to become one of the best, in my opinion, oh, uh, streaming services out there. I Agreed. personally, I've got, I've got several streaming services, sure, but I would give up Netflix if it meant I could keep HBO Max. Yeah. Because there's the, I mean, I mean, just think about the Warner Brothers catalog alone. Yeah. I mean, we're talking a crap ton of movies yeah. that you can watch over and over again. But they've also got access to, I mean, yes, the DC movies are under Warner Brothers umbrella, but they've got access to the Criterion Collection. So you've got all these classic movies out there that yeah. that are, you know, considered some of the best movies ever made that yeah. HBO has access to. You've got Studio Ghibli which has some of the best anime films that have ever been made. Um, and, and you've got TV shows. You've got Friends. You've got The Fresh Prince of Bel-Air. You've got The Big Bang Theory. Some of these are the biggest TV shows that have come out in the last 30 years. Right. And they're, and they're accessible on HBO and Max. Not to mention, just throwing it out there, you're talking Game of Thrones. You're talking Westworld. Right. I haven't even mentioned House the HBO Dragon. shows. I mean, and then their expansion on there. And also the platform is easy to use. I think that that's one of the one, one of the things that's very nice about HBO uh, Max as well as Netflix, but I, I prefer HBO Max. Unlike, say, Amazon Prime, that is not as easy to use and search, you know, <laughs> no. because you know they, they've almost prostituted everything that you could buy across the whole thing, and so you're not getting the value 
um, that you would elsewhere. So, um, but yeah, it's, it's, it's really a shame because um, now you start to see things leaving and yeah. um, just being know, cut. There just were, being cut. what was it uh, a couple of weeks ago? They, they announced that six movies that had been HBO max originals uh, <clears throat> that have been released over the past two years since HBO max's um, release or um, launch uh, have, have been completely scrubbed from the, the service. So yeah. like, and that, in, that includes um, like the, the remake, the recent remake of the witches, um, yeah. which wasn't bad. I mean, I watched it. It, it wasn't bad. I prefer the original, but no, I mean, me too. You know, yeah, it was it, okay. It, it was not a bad movie. Uh, the okay. Seth Rogen movie. Um, gosh, what was that one called? Something about pickles. No, <laughs> oh, I don't know. I didn't actually watch it. Um, but the point is six movies that were originally, you know, created specifically for the streaming service in the same way that netflix has uh red notice and things red like notice that. yeah yeah right. uh, the adam project all of these movies that they throw out there and and hbo max i i'm sorry to say the quality of what hbo is putting out there is so much better than i mean netflix it feels like they're throwing a a handful of spaghetti at the wall yeah. And and they might get one or two noodles to stick, but everything just falls, everything else just falls off. Whereas HBO Max, more often than not, you're getting critically acclaimed stuff yeah. every and time they put something new on there. Directors, writers, I mean, uh, Raised by Wolves was recently, uh, I think, uh, cut off and, and is not renewed. But, it, you know, I thought that was an incredible show. And, and you know, the the amount of money that had to go into the effects was insane. But they really do have have put, you know, that time and energy into it. But, you know, there's a lot going on right now. HBO Max will be fine, you know, overall. Um, it will continue to do well. And I think House of Dragon has already re been renewed for a second season after just airing the first episode. I know. I saw you know? That. It's crazy. <laughs> and it broke the app. You know, I mean, so it's hilarious. Um, you know, they, they're going to be fine, I think. When we talk about DC and, you know, there's a lot of people that might just very, very well be like, you know, DC, Superman, right? Batman. Great. Awesome. But they're, you know, they're compared to Marvel, DC and Warner Brothers has not done what could have been done. You know, it's been it's been this one shot here and there. And they tried to make make this happen with Batman versus Superman and and uh, the Justice League and and. I, mean, I don't know about you, but I, I liked Aquaman. I liked Wonder Woman, and and those were great. And it looked like we were headed somewhere, but it just didn't. It just didn't have what it needed to be able to succeed. Well, and and here's what. So, you know, in, in all of this, in the cancellation of Batgirl, in the cancellation of um, any any upcoming DC projects that were headed for HBO Max, uh, we're talking TV shows, movies. Um, I think the most recent one that got the axe was a new animated uh, Batman Cape Crusader, which was supposed to be from the creators of the original Batman animated series. Would Almost, it have Kevin Conroy? I don't know. I don't know. I just know it was it was going to be animated the by Bruce, Batman. Bruce Tim, and um, it was going to be basically a spiritual successor to the animated series. I don't know if Kevin Conroy was coming back as Batman. He's, I would have hoped so. 
Uh, simply because he is the the voice of Batman. He is the voice of Batman. Um, But, uh, you know, all that to say, you know, Zasloff has still come out and said, you know, what we recognize that DC is a very important brand under the Warner Brothers umbrella. And uh, so we are coming together. We want to develop a 10-year plan. He says he wants to put somebody in charge of it much like Kevin Feige is in charge of the Marvel Cinematic Universe. And that's all well and good, but it's got to be somebody who's actually a fan of it. It's got to yeah. be somebody who's knowledgeable about what... Yeah. See, and and you can tell the fans all, all day long that you've, you've got a 10-year plan. But yeah. we've seen that before. Yeah, was it, yeah. we've we it, we watched it, it the um, last 10 years. 2014. At Comic Con, that's when yeah. they rolled out their own. T- the same same way MCU re- rolls out their phase timelines. Yeah, you know, you had the timeline of, all right, we've got Batman versus Superman coming up next on the slate, yeah. Yeah. and then we've got Wonder Woman coming out, and we've got Suicide Squad, and we've got Justice League Part right. One, and then we're supposed to get Aquaman and the Flash and Cyborg, Green yep. Lantern Corps, Justice League Part Two, and then the whole thing was supposed to explode. We got none of that stuff. Oh, it it it, 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 it didn't explode. It imploded. It was horrible. Well, and, you know, I think there's been a lot of um, criticism with DC with the movies because they've just not had maybe the quality, the writing, the the skill, you know, involved. Um, you know, I, I saw Zack Snyder's, you know, version and it was much better. You know, mm, oh, yeah, it was uh, it was great. It was long, but it was much better. But at the same time. I just like like you're saying here, I don't feel like there's anybody at the helm here who has really appreciated DC Comics for what they are. And mm-hmm. I guess I, I'm I'm always frustrated by the campy uh, ways. I know we've talked about comic books and how in its era, you know, decades ago, campy was the way the comic books were. Sure. But you and I grew up in a time where as we're reading this as teenagers in the 90s, you know, it was epic and it was serious and it was moving. I mean, and, and, and there, I just have not seen anyone who gets that. Now I loved the Nolan Batman series. I I enjoyed it uh, a great deal, but um, you know, at the same time, it was not, it still was not Batman, you know, the way that the way that is in the comics. Yeah, that that was Still like let's let's see what would happen if we put Batman in the real world. In the real world of today. Yeah. I, I that's exactly what it what it was and what they intended and and that's fine, but you know, and I watched this newest Batman with Robert Pattinson and um that was much closer to the Batman that um that I know from the comics. At the same time, I still didn't enjoy the movie uh, very much. I I was bored by it. Uh, often and and i think that part of that for me is because again there's just not there's a whole lot of pomp and circumstance about these characters but not enough build to how they became and who in any of that we can talk about that you know as we we talk about our thoughts about how this should go but man it's just there's just not a person that really understands these comics and and there has to be 
I'm gonna. So I actually disagree with you on the the Batman. I loved it. I thought it was fantastic. You loved every bit of it. Gosh, oh gosh, I, yeah. I, I did not. What now? Tell me, tell me. That, I mean, you know that I, I I've said I appreciated the detective aspect, the investigative aspect, the darkness of it. You know, I appreciated those elements. What else did you like about it? Um. So at first, I will say I did not like his portrayal of Bruce Wayne. Yeah, that that bothered me. Um, because I mean, clearly. <clears throat> two very different characters bruce wayne and yeah. batman yeah um but at the same time i almost get it this is the beginning of his career it's you know we we've established that he's this is in his first second year of of being batman um and so the obsession is still what it, it what it is he yeah. doesn't have the um i guess the, the I don't, I don't know what I'm trying, what I'm looking for. He doesn't have any kind of um, pull to take him away from the darkness necessarily. He's got yeah. Alfred, but yeah. he's not listening to Alfred. Right. He is, he is, you know, on this path of, of vengeance and that's it. By the end of the movie, I feel like Bruce Wayne has, has changed a little bit. Um, and, and you can see where he could be going to, um, be more of the Bruce Wayne that needs to be the public face of Gotham. Yeah. Whereas, you know, Batman still needs to be this dark, almost urban legend kind of character who is rarely actually seen by the public. Um, overall, uh, you know, I, I really, I did enjoy it. I thought that, uh, I, th I thought that the way that they portrayed, gosh, especially the Riddler, was so creepy and very David Lynch-esque as far as, like, the way the movie was played out. Um, so that that was one element that, <clears throat> you know, that I, I really probably had a harder time with was the Riddler's portrayal. Really? I, I, don't, I don't mind there being, you know, uh, this serial killer this you know with the en enigmatic you know riddles and things like that but you know i, I and I, I don't see jim carrey as the riddler don't get me wrong that's not that's <laughs> not who comes to mind but um man i i just thinking in the comics and stuff just there there was almost um i don't know just the, uh, you know you could just sense the ingeniousness of of his mind you know yeah. and, and he would break and he would you know um, but he was so, I don't know, charming. I mean, there's there's just a way about him in the comics that that I've always appreciated. And this way was um less. It was just less. Well, that's because in the comics, me. he's wearing a suit and a tie and a, a bowler hat. I mean, that's that's very charming. <laughs> but but not just that, it just you know, the his so so certain, so confident, and so certain always. And it's, yeah. you know, this, this portrayal was like someone who's, who's broken. Well, I think what they did differently here was uh, they wanted him to, or he wanted to partner with Batman in thinking that the, you know, Batman's darkness was the same as his and yeah. his, you know, Batman's genius was the same as his. Yeah. Whereas in the comics and in other portrayals, you have the Riddler almost as if he's just trying to prove that he's smarter than Batman. Yeah. It's, it's not necessarily about the crime for him. It's about 
proving Proven. he can get one over on the Dark Knight. Yeah, yeah. As much as the Joker proving that that they need each other, you know what I mean? Right. <laughs> I mean, and so, but you know, I I do think that uh, Zoe Kravitz did an amazing job um, as as Catwoman. Mm-hmm. I thought that was I thought she did great. I, I loved. It. It's the closest uh, since um, uh, Michelle Pfeiffer, who I thought I've always thought is the best you know, uh, Catwoman, but, um, but really, I mean, I think just kind of going through it, I, I don't know that you could build a franchise out of this. Um, in my opinion. Well, the thing, so the thing is, um, when I think of Matt Reeves, the Batman with, you know, the, the, the Battinson, um, it is, it's a Batman that wouldn't exist in a DC universe. No. No, but at the same time, if you have a DC universe, you can't have it without a Batman. That's true. So, so in my mind's eye, you know, if they were to create a cohesive DC universe, it would have to be outside of the Batman. It would have to be outside of Joaquin Phoenix's Joker movies, right? Um, and that's you know, that's these fair. Are, these are very different things that are going yeah. on out there um but but you know there with with marvel letting us know you know that it's okay to dream of a multiverse what's to say that there can't be a multiverse for dc as well you know well, and, yeah and even so i mean you things think don't about, have to like, be connected first of all i think a, a a pattinson batman with a uh with the joaquin phoenix joker could totally be in the same universe Oh you know, yeah, I could, I could see that coming. And the put tone together. is exactly is it's, the, it's same. the same. Yeah, absolutely. So that could work. But then you think about with Marvel, they have the X Men on the one side, and that whole series that got revamped with Days of Future Past and all that, or X Men First Class, I mean, and then going through those movies, um, and then you'll find we we you know get hopefully emerging here. You know that's what we're, <laughs> I'm hoping for. You know, um, but this this is this happens, and so you can have two separate kind of pass and that you know maybe never the two shall meet but yes they will in the end you know and i think that that's possible if you separate batman but uh you're right i mean this uh the idea though of of the rest of it the the supernatural or the magic that can come between uh having a superman or an aquaman or a wonder woman you know all of that in that whole world and, and space and aliens and, and that's, it's a different, yeah. a whole different vibe than what just, Batman faces. It just wouldn't make sense to have, um, you know, and, and that's why I think with, with the Batman and with, with Christopher Nolan's uh, trilogy, you never got any of the more eccentric um, out there villains that Batman had. I mean, we've never seen a clay face on, right the big screen we've never seen um uh well we have seen killer croc and suicide squad but again that's part of the dceu and so it's okay to have crazy characters like that right but you know you've got you in in the films that we've seen with batman um you know past the joel schumacher movies speak not of those (laughs) we've got we've got villains who could exist in the real world yeah um I will say, you know, in the Dark Knight, the portrayal of Two Face was a little over the edge. Uh, I think they crossed the line with with that one in the CGI on his face. I think he wouldn't have survived that 
much damage, but yeah. um, you know, but the idea of a scarred uh, Harvey Dent becoming Two Face that's very realistic. Something right. like that could happen in Gotham right. City. Right. Um, the way the Joker's makeup and and his scars were making him, you know, have that permanent smile that makes sense in a realistic Gotham City. The Scarecrow right. using hallucinogenic drugs to uh, to incite fear right. in his victims and and simply wearing a uh, a burlap sack over his face that right. makes sense in a realistic, um, you know, Gotham City, but. I don't know. Uh, yeah, like I said, you, you've, you've got these these ideas for creating these Batman movies that are grim and gritty, and you, for, for whatever reason, they are so obsessed with making him darker every time they try it. And it's like, by doing that, all you're doing is removing everything that makes him capable of existing in the same world as Superman and right. the flash and green lantern and dark side. And, you know, right. all of these other characters, all these other worldly characters who just, it, it doesn't make sense in the real world because it's, it adds an element of sci sci-fi or um, magic or, you know, whatever, because Batman is so grounded. It doesn't have to I be. I do think that that some of this though comes in um there being an actor that can be all of it you know who can who is who's versatile enough to be able to uh portray a character like Batman in such a way where let's say you start off on a path that is just realistic you know to to everything and it's gritty and it's raw and it's hard and then he's finding his way of of setting his own limits you know still having vengeance, you know, upon the criminals, but at the same time deciding not to kill, you know, and, and just getting to that point where he establishes himself as an icon, you know, um, for the city, you know, I think that you can have that, but then if you've got the right actor that they can also pivot, you know, to being able to encounter a clay face, which would be the a supernatural kind of a thing and be able to not, you know, it, it not be unbelievable you know, for, for that something that's that to occur based upon how he interacts with that. You know, you've got the the Lazarus pit, you know, you've got things that that happen that that really have to have an element of of being beyond the gritty real. You know, you have you know just the whole thing with Titans. I love Titans. The show Titans is is one of one of my favorite DC shows. Um but but because they've been able to combine both they, I mean, in a great way, uh, they were able to combine the the supernatural and the 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 gritty. You know, I need. I think they needed people that are doing Titans to be somehow involved in making this work. Well, and I think about you know, you you look back at the comics, and yeah, in in the '60s when the Adam West Batman show came about. Uh, yeah, we look back at that and we say oh, it's extremely campy. That's not who Batman is. But in the '60s, it absolutely that, that was that who is, Batman who he was. was. Right? Um, Shark repellent and all. Yeah, 
Yeah, all of it. Uh, all of those cheesy gadgets that, that Batman and Robin would use. I mean, a- absolutely. The, that is you know, it. the the com. It was the Batman TV show with Adam West was probably the most comics accurate show that there has ever been. But then to, to what this, it was then. Right, yeah. right. Exactly. Speaking to the time and the culture in which it was taking place. Now, when the 70s come along, you look at the comics that were coming out then. This is when you had um, Denny O'Neill, who was, uh, I I think that's who was writing it. He was either writing it or he was drawing it. I can't remember which. But, you know, he was, he had a hand in creating Ra's al Ghul or Ra's al Ghul. And, and, you know, it was very, again, this is where you're getting more of the gritty and realistic detective kind right. of Batman, but you're also throwing in those uh, those supernatural elements that can work if you're telling a good story, if you're telling a story that makes sense. You right. know, it's it it wasn't crazy for Batman to follow Rachel Gould to the other side of the world and and follow Talia to the other side of the world and find out that her father had died. Oh, but wait, we're going to dip him in this Lazarus pit and he's going to come back to life. Right. It, it made sense. It worked for the story that was being told. And, and for whatever reason, and, and this is across the board. This is not just a Batman thing. This is every movie that they keep coming out with. Yeah. It's like they cannot find somebody to, to write these stories and tell compelling stories that make sense for the characters that are being told. I'm so sick of hearing people say, that you can't write a good Superman story because he can't be, you can't identify with Superman. That is a load of crap. How can you <laughs> not, not identify that, that with Superman? A load of crap. Yeah. Superman, yeah. yes. Uh, okay, I get it. He is incredibly powerful. He's a god among men, whatever. He is also a farm boy from Kansas. Yeah. All right. You can tell a very simple Thanksgiving story about Clark Kent going home to visit his parents for Thanksgiving. Right. That's a good story. He just happens to be Superman. What if someone just happens to attack Smallville while he's there? Well, that's one of the things that I've loved about Superman and the storyline ongoingly has been just how, you know, there's all these situations that he's put in in these different roles of who he is, whether it's, you know, him, you know, from Clark Kent from Smallville or it's, him with Lois uh, as Superman slash Clark Kent uh, and him in his role as Clark Kent as a reporter and just all these different relationships that he has. And then also his ability to um, try to save the day in an impossible situation that doesn't require simply you to punch as hard as you can or fly as fast as you can. Right. He has to actually be more careful and thoughtful and often motivating to try to get decisions to be made in a way that is best. I mean, I, that, that whole, I mean, I don't know about you, but every, every arc that I read with Superman typically involved him trying to be the voice of reason in a situation where someone else was trying to go too far or, or something needed to be calmed in, you know? And it's just, yeah, there, there's was... so much more than just him. So people saying like, Oh yeah, he can do everything. You know what I mean? It's, it, there's more than that, you know? So I was I was gonna say my favorite Superman stories are usually the ones where, uh, you know, violence is a last resort. Yeah. You know, I mean, he's he is genuinely trying to put a lid on on whatever's happening with whatever villain of the week he's fighting. 
without resorting to throwing punches. Right. Um, it, you know, and of course it's Superman and it, he's, he's in a title called Action Comics. So that's got to come out at some point. There's got to be a fight. But that's, that's not the end all and be all of what Superman is. He is not just this super strong uh, alien from another planet who can shoot lasers out of his eyes. Yeah. yeah. He is a, a thoughtful individual who was raised by salt of the earth farmers. Yeah. Who has a moral compass and is able right. to, you know, solve his problems without necessarily needing to throw a single punch. Yeah, and I think that the lesson there is that it's much harder to control yourself to not hit as hard as you can than it is right. to hit as hard as you can. I mean, we're and talking about a guy who could move the moon out of its orbit. That every time that he ha- <laughs> he shakes a hand with somebody or he opens a door, he has to thoughtfully think about how he does it. Otherwise, he'd rip the door off or break the hand in front of him. I mean, right. th- there's so much depth there. Um, but I think uh, another thing, like, so look at Aquaman. You know, while I like Jason Momoa, you know, and and he's awesome, and I think he's really cool Aquaman, you know, and it's kind of a badass kind of a guy. Yeah, oh yeah. At the same time, the Arthur Curry that I've read in the comic books is um, a man of, of deep care and tradition. You know, he's a man who very much is, um, it's not just that, that he loves fish and animals in the sea, it's, he is, he is like, uh, almost like telling the world, you better back off, you know, land dwellers, you know, I mean, he is so uh, full of maybe even justified pride of the ocean and the dangers of what the world has done. Right. I hope if they continue doing Aquaman, that they'll build him into that pride because they made him more like an outcast um, with all of his, his role in this, in these movies uh, thus far. And again, that's just not, necessarily who he is and it doesn't mean he has to be for the movies it's just you know again it's it's someone who doesn't understand necessarily arthur curry you know yeah loved wonder woman though i mean i i'll say i've never maybe it's because i'm chauvinistic i never really did much you know or read much wonder woman comic books uh but i uh i, I loved i loved it i thought it was really really a great storyline and um i thought david thewlis was amazing um that was a great movie if if i was to say any of the movies that have come out in recent years that was that that really did the trick for me it it was that one you know and with second behind it would be man of steel yeah yeah and and i was looking back at man of steel the only thing i didn't really care for in man of steel was uh uh the characterization of jonathan kent yeah um not to say I didn't love Kevin Costner as Jonathan yeah. Kent. I thought he sure. did a great job, but the way they wrote Jonathan Kent, I disagreed with. Um, and and really, what it comes down to is that scene after Young Clark saves the bus after it's gone into the river. Yeah, and and he pushes it out, and you know, obviously, other kids on the bus see that Clark yeah. has done this, yeah. and and you know, so <laughs> at this point. You've got you've got Jonathan almost chastising Clark for doing the right thing. Yeah. And Clark asks him, what was I supposed to do? Let everyone die? And he says, maybe. Jonathan Kent would, I'm sorry. I don't care yeah. what version yeah. of Jonathan Kent we're talking about in any reality, any time period, any era of existence. 
Jonathan Kent would never advise his son to no. just let people die. See, and I've still got John Schneider in my head always, at all times, whenever I think about Jonathan Kent. So it's just like, Glark, you know, you, you, you need to be more careful, you know? Well, what was I supposed to do? Well, son, you're probably right, you know? I mean, yeah. <laughs> you know? Because, you know, and that's what it comes down to. Yeah. Jonathan, Jonathan trusts his son to do the right thing in all circumstances. He, that's what he's building, doing the right thing, not just trying to save himself. I right. also didn't like how that whole scene with don't save me with the, with the um, tornado. I was just yeah. like, come on. First of all, I didn't believe for a second that Clark would actually stay there. You know what I mean? No. That's that's, that would not have happened, you know? As fast as he can move, he would have been yeah. able to go grab him and get back under yeah. that bridge before anybody even knew he was gone. Yeah. That's yeah. So that was just written off as a way. Um, but um, other than those things, I, I really and of course, I don't think either of us really liked Lex Luthor in the movie, right? Well, no, that's that was in Batman versus Superman. That has a whole other can of worms that you can get into. But um, so we've. We've talked at length about Warner Brothers and their various screw-ups. I'm now interested in this 10-year plan, all right? Yeah. If you were put in charge, what would you do? Well, you know, I, I think I'm always amazed looking back at what Marvel did to me, you know what I mean, <laughs> or, or, or affected me with, with their movies and how they played in different um, – you know, with the different characters, I, I didn't know who Iron Man was. Um, and so the way that they introduced that to me and, and that <laughs> whole start, and without it being said with an agenda, like, here's our agenda. We're going to have a 10 year plan. You know, you know, right. it wasn't like that. You know, it was just yeah, it was all very, it was all surprised. Yeah, it was such a surprise. And I didn't think I'd like it because I, I never again, I've always been a DC Comics guy. So when that came out. It was a surprising thing for me because it was a great movie. And Robert yeah. Downey Jr. was a great, you know, he was a great actor and it was awesome. Oh, Robert Downey Jr. is Tony Stark. I mean, there's he is. Yeah. there is no no ifs, ands, or buts about it. So so to me, you know, I, I think, you know, for anything to have a successful start, you've got to start there. And if it were me, I would I would not be a fan of continuing the flash as it is. Um, I, I still want to see the, the new movie that comes out only because I, I don't want anybody to lose their jobs. <laughs> you know what I mean? So, well, hey, I, I mean, if, if they can shelve Batgirl after spending $90 million on it, I mean, what's to stop him from shelving uh, this one? Well, I mean, especially with Ezra Miller. Thing, I was going to say, if he does one more thing, you know, it's just like, why aren't you scrapping that one? You know, but I mean, geez. but but starting off with, you know, someone like a character like The Flash or starting off with, you know, a character that, you know, is, um, you know, and it can be Batman. It's just everybody has all these expectations with Batman and Superman so much that to me, it would be better to slow, slow bring them in, like to have them show up at the end or, or one of them to show up at an end of one of these other movies for, from uh, maybe a side character that other people have loved and have gotten invested in. Um, and, and maybe even going another route, you know, starting with a side character, not like Blue Beetle or someone like that, in my opinion. But um, even so, I mean, if I was going to do Batman, I'd start off with a story about Azrael. You know what I mean? And I I just like start there, you know, and have a Jean-Paul Valley and this crazy thing going on. How many people loved, 
you know, angels and demons and all that stuff going on. And, you know, there's plenty of the Assassin's Creed thing with the orders and all the things that we have in that gaming. You could have a whole thing there. And then, you know, that's all about that resolution. And then you have a Batman at the end of it that comes and says, I might need your help. You know what I mean? And then it's just like, what? Who's this? You know, so to me, you know, having a side character have a movie achieve. Now, Iron Man is a lead character, right? So, I'm but not he's a B lister. But he's a B lister, and and or he used to be. <laughs> I I didn't know. Yeah, no, not anymore. But I didn't know anything about him. Everybody has their perspectives about all these different people. They couldn't have achieved it properly with a Wolverine because Hugh Jackman is Wolverine, you know, and always will be. And so it's like you can't revamp that, and I don't know that you can do Superman and Batman effectively uh, or Wonder Woman at this point. I think it's got to come from the side. So my my take would be starting of the projects off would be to have a handful of these type of movies on the sides, you know, and have characters that are B characters that you can have a that you put a lot of money into, and you put a lot of of time into, and having the right casting on it. And then from there, drop ending hints, you know, maybe hints throughout the whole movie that there's a, a world, there's a, there's a, a super world, but have something drop at the end and, and, and then slow build it over time to being like everybody wants everybody to get together. I love Thor, had nothing to do with first of it, uh, Captain America. All these things had nothing to do with one another. Guardians of the Galaxy, that can't even happen. It's over here. How are you going to get everybody together? And then they do it. And you're like, yes. See, that's what DC needs. But you can't get it by declaring it. And you can't get it by just going 90 miles an hour in your face with the leading character. It's got a slow burn. It's going to take time and money. That's my take. That's that's funny. The the, the way that's described, almost like, you know what? It's, it's, it's a very like millennial, uh, I've got a vision board. Okay, and here's what we're going to do. And we're going to manifest this so that it happens. Yeah, yeah. It's it's almost like, you know, these people are just like, it's important. I can tell you what, it's important. Well, what if I don't think it's important? Then you're misinformed, you know? Well, see, see, and that that works for Marvel now. Because, because they've earned it. Because, now, yeah, exactly. You know, when, when, like you said, when they started out, Iron Man was a risk. Yeah. All right. There was there was no way to to know what kind of impact Iron Man would have on our popular culture, because yeah. at that point, if it came to naming Marvel characters, it was like uh, Spider-Man. Yeah. Um, Wolverine. Other X people. And yeah. this was, I mean, I mean, you of course, there are tons of marvel fans out there who have been reading marvel comics their entire lives i'm not discounting that at all who would have known that iron man is who he is and and they would have gone into seeing this right. iron man movie and been like robert downey jr really i know I right mean, right but for the guy most part, this guy hasn't had a career since the 90s what is going well, on exactly i mean but you could take somebody like like take take a martian manhunter you know that's one thing that hasn't been done have, you know, and then have a Martian Manhunter movie, you know, and, and just build that there, you know, and that that opens the world, you know, and a Green Lantern movie would have been a good idea, you know, having something like that. Um, it just well, didn't that's another idea. A good that's, movie. that's another uh, instance of, you know, Warner Brothers, again, trying to put the cart before the horse. They right. were like, 
we've got this Green Lantern movie with Ryan Reynolds. Ryan Reynolds. Yeah. It is going to kickstart a massive DC universe that is going to take over. We even had an in credit scene where Sinestro got a yellow ring. It doesn't right. explain why he got a yellow ring. He didn't turn evil in the movie. He just it just happened. Like, okay, but I, so we're now we're expecting yeah. a sequel? Yeah. No, no. Well, and I kill think it, that's the kill hard it with part. Fire. You know, is that Ryan Reynolds is Ryan Reynolds, you know, and so you get he, he's in anything and you get him, you know, and it's yeah. awesome. You know, I still watch Blade Trilogy and I'm like, you know, hey, yeah, Ryan Reynolds, you know, it's just he's the same guy. Yeah. And, Ryan and Reynolds great. has been playing Ryan Reynolds for decades and he is <laughs> he's just fantastic at it. Doesn't matter right, what so movie you put him in. He is just Ryan. He's, he's great. But, you know, the movie flopped. It was a bad movie. Um, <laughs> it was a horrible movie. Yeah. And, and you know, the plot the plot and the storyline were underwhelming, to which say is, the least. Which is so – was that was so frustrating for me when I went and Absolutely. saw that. Because I, I, I love Green Lantern. I, and, and, you know, at that point, you had been – I had been reading, like, a decade's worth of Green Lantern stories where – you had this incredibly fleshed out uh, just world universe that just pertained to Green Lantern. Like, forget all the other heroes and villains out there. You had Green Lantern, and then you had the entire emotional spectrum. You had Sinestro's Yellow Lantern Corps. You had the the rage-filled Red Lantern Corps. You had the, the greedy Orange Lantern who was a one-man army by himself. Right. And then on the other side of the spectrum, after you get green, you get the blue lanterns who were filled with hope, the yep. indigo lanterns who were filled with compassion, and then the violet lanterns who were basically the star sapphires whose emotional spectrum was love. And so that meant at the end, from, from one end of the emotional spectrum to the other, you went from hate to love. Yeah. And it was like the, the stories that we're telling in the comics – were just so incredibly well done, I thought. Well, and then yeah. and then you get this movie that comes yeah. out, and it's like, really, this is the story you're telling? And no, because they weren't telling a story. All they were doing was trying to show off mediocre show, show graphics. Off. Yeah, that, that's exactly right. And there wasn't like an appreciation for the depth of something, like the idea of the the Lantern Corps being around for you know a long time, forever, forever. You know what I mean? And so. I think that there there's no respect for that that there's something bigger you know than and that and that's been the case with all of them there's no loyalty there's only the person and the situational you know uh the moment of their awareness of something and how they react to it there's no depth or care or anything even so with with Aquaman you look at how Willem Dafoe was in there to represent you know, a, a little bit of the reason and the tradition and all that, but it was still very weak, you know, and, and not from him. He's great, but just the overall concept to try to sell somebody in such a short amount of time and not be willing to do the time to slow build it, you know, is just lazy. It's yeah. just absolutely lazy. Yeah. All right. So it's lazy writing. Tell me you tell me, I want to, I want to hear what your plan would be. What, what would you, what would you do if you were Are in you- charge? Are you sure you're asking me this? Because I've gone in depth. <laughs> Four I've, hours later. I've I given this I a lot of thought. <laughs> All right. Tell me. I want to hear. Okay. All right. So I've I've got phase one mapped out. Let's call it my vision board. 
and I want to manifest oh, it. So I hold on. So I I'm kind of general and loose, but you got like you got a plan. Oh, I'm I'm <laughs> Feigeing it up, man. I just I'm gonna change my name to Kevin Feige. I'm gonna start wearing hats. And be uh, listening in. This man can help you. That's right, uh, <laughs> dear David Zaslov. I'm your guy. I'm your white knight. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So. Uh, first of all, I'm going to apologize because I start with a Superman movie. And of course, being a Superman fan, I've put a great deal of thought into this movie. Um, but then the rest of phase one, uh, I'll just try to keep it, you know, smaller synopses. All right. So the first movie, we're just going to call it Superman. All right. We're not going to get crazy with the title. It doesn't have to be complicated. No subtitle, just Superman. All right. Uh, and yes, we are beginning with Superman because he is DC's first superhero. And as such, he should kick things off in the cinematic universe um, as well. So just the way I'm seeing it, there's without Superman, there would never have been a Batman or a Wonder Woman or a Marvel Cinematic Universe. So in this world, at this point in time, Superman operates alone. There are certainly rumors of other costumed heroes in other cities, but nothing that can be substantiated yet. All right, first off, let's ditch the origin story, okay? We don't need an origin. Is there anyone out there at this point who isn't aware that Superman was put in a rocket by his parents as his homeworld exploded around them and was sent to Earth to be raised by the Kents? We now, all know. Everyone knows this. So the three of you out there listening to this, who are not aware of this character's not-so-secret origins at this point, I invite you to revisit the plethora of Superman-related media already available for your consumption. And you know now. Now you know. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> seriously. <laughs> all right, next. Let's have both of Clark Kent's parents still alive and kicking, all right? Different stories have done it in different ways uh, over the years. It's usually about 50-50 that one or both of his parents are either dead or killed off at some point during the story. As if Clark needs the death of Jonathan Kent to act as a catalyst for him leaving the farm to become the superhero he's destined to be. Uh, I love the idea of Clark still having a close relationship with his parents, dropping in on them and asking for their advice from time to time. Uh, Superman should have an unshakable moral compass, and a lot of that came from the influence of the Kents. So I think it's important to have them there. Uh, just, if nothing else, as supporting characters. Yeah. Uh, as for other supporting characters, this is a Metropolis crowd. At this point, Superman has already been operating in the city for some time. People are excited to see him, even if he is still something of a mystery to the general public. Clark Kent has been working as a journalist for the Daily Planet since just before Superman made his public debut. In the newsroom, we definitely want to see the tough-as-nails editor-in-chief, Perry White, and the younger, say, late teens, early 20s staff photographer, Jimmy Olsen. It would be nice to see some of the other Planet staff, like Cat Grant, Ron Troop, or Steve Lombardi, even if only in an offhand Easter egg kind of way. As for Lois Lane, she has a friendly but competitive and somewhat flirtatious relationship with Clark, they work closely together on a lot of stories, often sharing a byline, especially on stories relating to Superman. Lois is fully aware that Clark and Superman are one and the same because she is not galactically stupid. 
<laughs> Lois Lane is an investigative reporter if she's in a pickle and is rescued by this flying guy who looks a lot like her new co-worker just without the glasses I think she's going to figure it out alright and Clark's okay with this because he trusts Lois 100% she thinks he's cute but wouldn't dare tell him he's kind of smitten but keeps her at arm's length because he believes that it could be dangerous for anyone to be too close to him. And as the daughter of a four-star general, she is well-trained in self-defense. She can get herself <laughs> into and out of plenty of scrapes yeah, without really, the aid of a man of steel. Thank yeah, you very cover much. Herself. Yeah, she's pretty good. Pretty <laughs> good on her own. She's a tough girl. She's a tough girl. All right, Lex Luthor. He is an obvious antagonist, but he is not the primary antagonist. Only a few years older than Clark, I do like the idea of a younger Lex Luthor. Uh, he's powerful and wealthy. He's a businessman with a brilliant, genius-level scientific mind. As such, he is incredibly influential in Metropolis and has voiced his concerns regarding Superman and his unknown, possibly, extraterrestrial origins. Luther raises the question in the minds of many Metropolis citizens that Superman could easily be an advanced reconnaissance soldier scouting out our planet to see if we are vulnerable for invasion. Luther like claims do what? I like this. I like this. This is good. All right, Luther claims he isn't fear-mongering, simply playing devil's advocate and advising Earth's governments to be prepared for such a possibility. Luther is charismatic enough to even play nice attempting to stay in Superman's good graces. Superman sees through Luther's deception, but Luther knows Superman can prove nothing. A small extremist group latches on to everything Luther has stirred up. They have a mysterious benefactor who we will eventually learn is Luther himself. This, myster this mystery leader of theirs coerces an angry, down-on-his-luck man named Rudy Jones to sneak into LexCorp Lab to supposedly steal a new weapon that could potentially hurt or even kill Superman. Jones uses his position as a LexCorp custodian to gain access to the lab in question, but he is just a pawn of Lex Luthor who uses the opportunity to expose Jones to a radioactive device that transforms him into the villain known as Parasite. Ha! Jones, Jones, believing he's just turned into a deformed monster, doesn't know he's got any powers, he's just a freak now, flees the LexCorp tower and returns to his fellow anti-Superman extremists. Of course, they're all terrified of him, not knowing that it's Jones that's been transformed. In the scuffle, Jones discovers that with a touch, he can feed off of others' life energy. He kills everyone in the group, leaving shriveled husks in his wake. He then begins formulating a plan to go after Luther, believing he is at fault for his transformation. Lois covers the story of the decimated extremist group and puts Clark on the trail of Jones. At their first encounter, neither are prepared for the effect that the parasite will have on Superman and vice versa. Superman is weakened, but not incapacitated. Parasite gains a level of strength and speed that he never dreamed of. Superman is forced to retreat, realizing he could easily be killed by this creature if it got a firm hold on him. Parasite lays low for a few days, having fed, fed enough to be completely satisfied thanks to his brush with Superman. But as that energy wears off, he realizes he wants another taste of what he can get from the superhero. His plan now is to get Superman's attention, drain him, then go after Luther in one last act of revenge. 
Of course, it never goes the way the villain plans. Superman stops Parasite, saving Lex Luthor. Luthor grudgingly thanks Superman for saving his life, which only infuriates him more as if he owes Superman something now. Lex Luthor is not the kind of man who likes to be indebted to anyone. Superman remains extremely polite in a kill him with kindness kind of way. Roll credits. And then we have the mid credit scene. Luther takes a champagne wow. flute. Uh, <laughs> Luther takes a, a champagne flute that Superman drank from after Luther was so generous to propose a toast for the gathered press. He passes the glass off to a woman in a white lab coat and orders her to find any trace of DNA she can that could have been left by the Man of Steel. Post credit scene. Clark and Lois are walking in the city in the evening. Suddenly, Clark hears a loud screeching alarm that only he can hear. A concerned Lois tries to ask him what's wrong, but he can't even hear her over the noise. That's he ducks into a duet. That's a little throwback to me for uh, a little loud noise that only he can hear. Sorry, oh, it reminds yeah. me of one of the, the Superman movie. Oh, yeah, it's very Lex Luthor, except it's not Lex Luthor. Uh, he ducks into a dark alley and takes to the air, flying toward the source of whatever is making that horrible sound. Within seconds, he reaches the Arctic Circle and oh. sees a small object enter the atmosphere and ultimately crash into the icy glacier below. Once the object is buried, the sound stops. Superman lands next to the impact crater and begins to carefully examine the area. Then the glacier begins to tremble and a structure begins to build itself from beneath his feet. Before him stands his Fortress of Solitude. So, of course, the post credit scene, just a teaser. Something's coming later. Wow, man. All right, so, wow. yeah, I, I went, a little, went a little overboard uh, with, with that one, uh, just with, with all of the detail I threw, threw in. That's uh, awesome. But I wanted to give us a villain we've never seen on the big screen before. Yeah. Because really, all we've ever really seen is Lex Luthor or General Zod. Yeah. I mean, let's let's change it up. He's got a huge rogues gallery. Yeah, no, I thought I think that's awesome. I think it's great. You know, I mean, that's very much the the Lex Luthor and kind of storyline that we would have grown up with. Right. I love that. That's great. <coughs> Excuse me. Sorry. All right. So, uh, like I said, the the rest of these I've kind of broken down in, into smaller uh, synopses. Uh, so next up, we would have Batman Second Skin. Uh, okay, so yes, we just got a fantastic Batman movie, or at least in my opinion. Uh, Matt Reeves, the Batman. Uh, <laughs> Warner Brothers certainly isn't going to want to undercut the importance of that franchise or where it could be headed. But here's the thing. The Batman has shown us a grim and gritty, ultra-realistic world for Batman to work in, like we've already said before. Um, there's no room for a larger DC universe there, but since we can't very well have a DC universe without a Batman, let's do this entirely separate thing. And as with Superman, there is no sense in rehashing Batman's origins. We all know what happened to his parents, dark yep. alley, bang, bang, pearls everywhere. Okay. Yeah. Uh, so here's the synopsis. A mysterious killer has his or her sites set on the falcone crime family you gotta have the falcones i mean that's the crime family in gotham ultimately they have their sights set on carmine falcone this killer leaves few if any clues to their identity and it's up to the batman to determine who the killer is and how to stop them 
Bruce Wayne has been operating in Gotham City for just over a year, but has yet to form a relationship with anyone at GCPD and exists mostly in the shadows and as a scary story told by Gotham's criminals. In this world, Batman is aware of other costumed vigilantes and superpowered heroes and villains, but would rather keep to himself and do things his own way in his city. Bruce must balance his desire for justice with the undeniable truth that Falcone maintains a certain balance and even performs a number of benevolent acts for the city, forcing him to compromise when it comes to saving the lives of Falcone's men. Primary villain, Clayface, a.k.a. Sandra Fuller. So this is the villain in the comics who is known as Lady Clayface. Oh, okay. But, but I'm giving her more of uh, Basil Carlo's uh, backstory. Backstory, okay. So she's a former actress turned mob assassin. Thanks to an experimental skin cream called Renew, developed by Daggett Pharmaceuticals, one of Carmine Falcone's legitimate business ventures, Sandra is able to alter her appearance to look like anyone, making her the perfect woman to become a contract killer. But overuse of Renew causes Sandra to become the monster known as Clayface, a shapeshifter who seeks revenge against Falcone, whom she blames for what she has become. Clayface plans to exact her revenge on Falcone at a charity event that he has put together with Haley Circus. In the film's climax, she attacks, and in the ensuing chaos, the Flying Graysons are killed while performing their trapeze act, leaving young Dick Grayson orphaned. Nice. Supporting characters, Alfred Pennyworth, Lieutenant James Gordon, Detective Renee Montoya, Detective Harvey Bullock, District Attorney Harvey Dent, Carmine Falcone, and Dick Grayson. mid credit scene. Bruce Wayne and Dick Grayson get out of a car as Dick looks up at Wayne Manor somewhat in awe. He asks Bruce why he's taking him in. Bruce kneels down to be on Dick's level, explaining that he lost his parents at a very young age, too. He introduces Dick to Alfred, telling him that the butler helped him get through some of his darkest days. Dick responds with a hollow thanks, but is honest in his emotions, sharing how sad and angry he's feeling. Bruce smiles and tells him that they might just have a way to help him work through all of that. Huh, there you go. post credit scene. Kate Kane stands in Bruce's study, admiring the grandfather clock that hasn't worked in years. Bruce arrives, surprised to see his cousin after she's been away from Gotham for so many years. She smirks and tells him she's heard he has a very interesting nightlife these days. He tells her not to believe everything the tabloids say. Kate says she doesn't believe a word of it, reaching up to adjust the hands on the clock, revealing the hidden entrance to the Batcave. Looking back at Bruce, she tells him she wants in. Timeline. The story takes place approximately the same time as Superman. An important note is that Dick Grayson should be a child at this stage. He I should know, be right? no older than 12 years old, giving him time to develop and train off screen to debut as Robin in the inevitable follow-up. Uh that I mean that always bugged me <laughs> when when they introduced Robin in uh, yeah. Batman Forever. You've got this twenty four year old guy playing what a nineteen year old, a twenty yeah. year old. Why is was, Bruce Wayne taking that kid in? But it's Chris O'Donnell, you know. So you know, there's that. Um, no, yeah, I think that's great, man. That's awesome. Any any thoughts on on Batman's second skin there? 
I think, you know, the the idea, of, of course, like I said, Clayface, I think is a great idea. I think the fact that he knows and they acknowledge in the film that there are other superheroes, but he doesn't want to be a part of it, I think is is wise. Um, yeah, I think I think it's great. I think it sounds awesome. Who Who's the person at the end that goes in the closet? Who's Kate what, Zane or what did you say? Her name Kate was? Kane. That's Kate. Batwoman. Oh, there you go. Yeah, there you go. All right. Uh, third movie in phase one would be Wonder Woman War of the Gods. Synopsis for the Amazon princess. I would like to retell her origin, but let's ditch the World War I setting and focus on the present day. The story should lean heavily into the Greek mythological origins and return to Wonder Woman having been formed of clay by Queen Hippolyta and given life by the gods as a blessing to Hippolyta and Themyscira. In the modern age, the gods are all but silent, having been forgotten by most of the modern world outside of stories and legends. Steve Trevor would still be an American military pilot who crashes off the coast of Themyscira and is saved by Diana. And this will still be the catalyst for bringing her to man's world following a contest to choose the Amazonian representative who will represent who will return Steve to his rightful place. Diana is forbidden from competing by her mother, but does so in secret not revealing her true identity until she ultimately wins. The primary villain will be Circe. Finally. This is the same mythological figure who captured Odysseus once upon a time. She is manipulating events through powerful magic from afar by causing Steve Trevor's failed flight and sudden discovery of the hidden paradise island. Circe has awakened the slumbering gods and who are now taking an interest in events as they unfold particularly pertaining to the daughter of Hippolyta. Circe's ultimate goal is to pit the Olympian gods against each other, plunging the world into chaos in the process. Diana will come to understand the truth behind the, this war of the gods and will be all that stands between Circe and the end of the world as we know it. Supporting characters, Queen Hippolyta, various Amazons, Steve Trevor, Etta Candy, and the basically the Olympian uh you know all those gods and goddesses you mean like russell crowe yeah <laughs> zeus hera Ares, all those guys uh mid credit scene seemingly stripped of her magical powers circe sits alone in a cell at bell rev correctional center without warning the door to her cell swings open and in walks amanda waller she introduces herself to the angry powerless witch what if I told you I can help you get your powers back? What would that be worth to you? Of course, this is setting up an eventual suicide squad somewhere down the road. Yeah. post credit scene, Steve Trevor is introducing Diana to ice cream as I love that. I love that scene in Wonder Woman. Oh, yeah. I loved it in the animated version. Yeah. It's, it needs to be there. It's yeah. so great. So good. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Steve Trevor is introducing Diana to ice cream as they leisurely stroll near the Lincoln Memorial at twilight, having a pretty decent first date. Nearby, they can hear people gasping and murmuring and notice everyone looking up at the sky. Superman descends from above and, floating over the reflecting pool, addresses Diana. He tells her that was some impressive work the other day and says they should talk sometime. Timeline. This story should take place roughly six months after the events of Batman and Superman Second Skin, or excuse me, Superman and Batman Second Skin. That's what I meant. There you go. All right. Oh, that's great. Next up is Trinity. Uh, 
so Lex Luthor is making a very public trip to Gotham City to meet with fellow billionaire industrialist Bruce Wayne to discuss an aerospace partnership that has been in development for some time. Clark Kent has been assigned to follow Luthor to Gotham to cover the story for the planet. While there, Clark plans to, as Superman, investigate the rumors he's heard of a vigilante known as the Batman. It could just be an urban legend, but if there's truth to the story, then it's also possible that this Batman is responsible for putting a young sidekick in harm's way. Meanwhile, Wonder Woman arrives in Gotham under her new civilian persona, Diana Prince, investigating an artifact that was recently discovered in Italy that has been brought to Gotham University for study. The artifact, a cat statue, has alleged ties to the Olympian gods, and Diana is curious about its origin and authenticity. Primary villains, Catwoman, a.k.a. Selina Kyle, Cheetah, a.k.a. Barbara Minerva, and Lex Luthor. Catwoman, who has had obvious run-ins with Batman in the past, is after the artifact for its monetary value. She's unaware that this cat, excuse me, that this cat statue was once imbued with magical power that has now been transferred to the professor studying the item, Dr. Barbara Minerva. Dr. Minerva begins transforming into the villainous cheetah, someone Catwoman believes she can get along with. They don't at first. Enter Luther. His personal assistant slash bodyguard, Mercy Graves, provides him with intel on Cheetah and Catwoman after he learns that Superman has followed him to Gotham City. Wanting the Man of Steel dead, he brokers a deal with Cheetah, whose powers seem to be magic-based, believing she can hurt Superman, as he has noticed he has a weakness against magic and the supernatural. Lex then distances himself, pulling strings from afar, while our heroes are unaware of his involvement. Supporting characters would be Alfred Pennyworth, Robin, a.k.a. Dick Grayson, Commissioner James Gordon, Mercy Graves, and Etta Candy. Uh, in a mid-credits scene, Bruce, Clark, and Diana would meet for coffee. They ask each other if this team-up thing is going to become a habit. Bruce reveals that there are others. Maybe they need a bigger team. Post-credits scene, Lex Luthor steps off his helicopter and is greeted by the same scientist who appeared at the end of Superman. Luther is clearly angry at not being notified of the problem sooner, following the scientist to the lab where an angry duplicate of Superman beats his fists against the walls of his cell, easily denting the metal walls. Lex speaks to the clone who is identical to the Man of Steel in every way. His voice soothes the duplicate as he calls him son. Uh, some more notes about this one. Bizarro? Uh, wait for it. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> spoilers sorry, sorry. Uh, some more notes about this one before we move on to the next one uh, our three main heroes should meet at the same time so like Diana would spot Superman flying overhead then she would follow him wondering why he just happens to be in uh, so far away from Metropolis uh, when she catches up she sees he's confronting Batman and Robin on a rooftop this should make for a lot of interesting banter with Robin providing some necessary comic relief especially when Superman and Batman reveal each other's secret identities. And Robin claims that Bruce likes to declare himself the world's greatest detective when they're hanging out in the Batcave. There's a lot of potential for these three to work together, but let's be clear, there is no verses in this title. Superman and Batman are not fighting. They may not necessarily agree with each other's tactics, but there is a grudging respect and they will become friends. 
Yeah. All right. So that's Trinity. What do you think? I like it. I think it's good. I'm, I, I think about Wonder Woman 1984 and, uh, or 80, was it 1984? Yeah. Whatever it was called. Yeah. So, um, I think about that with, uh, with, uh, Cheetah and, and all that too. Um, it's cool about the bizarro, uh, aspect at the end there. That's, uh, that's really cool. Are you going to, would you have him be like the one in the comics? Like me, no, blah, 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 you know? All right, well, so that's coming up next. <laughs> okay, okay, let's All right, it. so we got Superman 2. Synopsis. Someone looking a great deal like Superman has been thwarting criminals left and right in Metropolis. Only Lois Lane and Clark Kent know that this Superman is an imposter because even he can't be in two places at once. Over time, this false Superman begins to display increasingly irrational behavior, culminating in an attack on the Daily Planet and specifically on Clark Kent the man who has his face. What Lois and Clark don't know is that this is a clone that has been engineered by scientists in the lowest levels of LexCorp Tower, and the clone has become unstable. So the primary villain, obviously, Bizarro, an imperfect clone of the Man of Steel with equivalent strength and speed, as well as a few other bizarre powers freeze vision and fire breath as opposed to superman's heat vision and freezing breath as time goes on the bizarro clones intelligence and appearance fade leaving him to literally be a pale comparison of the real superman as bizarro deteriorates and is shunned by luther whom he only knows as father superman takes pity on him and wants to find a way to help him he takes the clone and lois to his fortress of solitude where we meet the secondary villain, the Eradicator, a Kryptonian artificial intelligence whose purpose is to preserve and sustain Kryptonian culture at any cost. It is, the intel it is this intelligence that signaled Superman and built his Fortress of Solitude in the Arctic at the end of the previous film. When Kal-El arrives with Lois and an imperfect clone in tow, Fortress Security attempts to terminate the non-Kryptonian life. Superman is able to access the art artificial intelligence, which has grown beyond his control and is intent on eradicating all of humanity to make way for a new Krypton. Bizarro would then help Superman to stop the Eradicator dying in the process. Superman would remove the Eradicator's central processor from the fortress mainframe and eject it into deep space. Supporting characters, Lois Lane, General Sam Lane, Lex Luthor, Perry White, Jimmy Olsen, Jonathan and Martha Kent, Mercy Graves. In the mid-credits scene, Superman confronts Luthor, though he has no proof that Luthor was behind the clone that was Bizarro. He tells him that Bizarro died a hero, not that Luthor cares. Luthor does not even dignify Superman with a response, but when he flies away, leaving Luthor alone, he mentions that this has only been phase one. It's a little nod to uh, the meta. <laughs> yeah. Uh, in credits scene, in deep space, in a large empty room on a vast spacecraft, we see a lone figure staring at the stars. Small robots approach this figure, claiming to have retrieved a Kryptonian artifact that was floating through space. One of the machines speculates that it is a damaged version of the Kryptonian Eradicator. The figure is revealed to be Brainiac, a collector and destroyer of worlds, who is suddenly intrigued by this deep space find. 
Timeline. This story takes place only a few weeks after the events of Trinity and roughly eight months after the events of Superman. All right, and I've only got two more left. So Roll. everyone who's still been listening, thank you for your patience. Uh, let's move on to Green Lantern Corps. Uh, this should have a comedic buddy cop kind of feel. Hal Jordan has been the Green Lantern of Sector 2814 for nearly three years and has spent most of that time away from Earth, his home world. He is the first human to wield the green power ring, but he was recently joined by another human, John Stewart, a rookie who has just finished his training on Oa, the Green Lantern home world. As the story begins, Hal and John return to Earth for the first time since each were chosen to wear the ring. They find that things have changed on Earth. There are superpowered and costumed individuals popping up all over the place. Before they have had much time to settle in and begin patrolling their sector of space, they get an alert from the Green Lantern Corps that the Lantern of Sector 1417 is performing inappropriate and illegal actions with his power ring and are sent to investigate. The primary villain is that lantern of section sector 1417, Sinestro. Considered to be, of course, considered to be one of the greatest Green Lanterns of all time, his power grows corrupt when he uses his ring to rule his home world with fear as he discovers that an iron fist is the best way to maintain order among his people. Hal and John are specifically sent to confront Sinestro because Hal was trained by Sinestro and considers him a friend. Hal finds it difficult to believe that Sinestro would go from being the greatest among them to resort to terrorism. John, though inexperienced as a lantern, stands as voice of reason for Hal, giving them the opportunity to stop Sinestro from enslaving his own people. Supporting characters, the Guardians of the Universe, other Green Lanterns such as Kilowog, Aresia, Tomar Ray, you know, Carol yeah. Ferris would be a, another character we'd see on Earth. In the mid-credits scene, while being led to a cell on Oa, Sinestro manages to escape his bonds with the help of the Weaponers of Quard, a race of beings from the antimatter universe. Sinestro apparently had an arrangement with these people should the day come that he was ever in need of their assistance. Upon arriving on their homeworld in the antimatter universe, Sinestro is gifted a new power ring, one of yellow, specifically designed to combat the green light. In the post credit scene, while still on Oa, Hal and John are summoned before the Guardians who warn them of an impending threat to their homeworld of Earth. Hal questions them, asking if they should be going after Sinestro instead. They are assured that other Lanterns will pursue the fugitives. The Guardians then explain that Hal and, ja Hal and John will be needed on Earth because the being known as Brainiac is on his way there now. Brainiac has discovered a living Kryptonian on Earth and will stop at nothing to collect him. The timeline, this story takes place in the weeks following Superman 2. Mm, nice. To wrap up, phase one, we have the Justice League. Synopsis, this team will be the end, or excuse me, this team up will be the end of the DC Cinematic Universe's first phase. The two Green Lanterns of Earth, Hal Jordan and Jon Stewart, track down the only Kryptonian biosignature on the planet, in civilian attire, they approach Clark Kent at the Daily Planet. As Superman, he brings the Green Lanterns to his fortress, which is still intact and serviceable, though without a malevolent artificial intelligence running things. It's here that Clark discovers the truth about Brainiac and the end of the planet Krypton. 
Clark tells Hal and John that they'll need a few more heavy hitters if they're going to face this one this thing once it arrives. Primary villain is Brainiac, an alien of supremely advanced intelligence who travels throughout the known universe collecting unique civilizations. He does this by finding a planet he deems worthy and, using his advanced technology, traps the world's largest city inside a bottle of sorts, then shrinks it to keep it on display in his ship. Candor. En- Do what? Candor. Candor. To ensure that his collection is truly unique, Brainiac then destroys the world that is left behind. This is what Clark discovers happened to Krypton after Brainiac arrived and stole his home world's city of Candor. Upon learning from the Eradicator that Kal-El is Krypton's sole survivor, Brainiac sets his sights on Earth. He is ready to collect Metropolis in a bottle, then destroy the planet when he's finished. Major players, Superman, Batman, Wonder Woman, Green Lantern, uh, two Green Lanterns, Hal Jordan and John Stewart, Barry Allen, The Flash, Arthur Curry, Aquaman, and John Jones, The Martian Manhunter. Supporting characters would be Lois Lane, Lex Luthor, Alfred Pennyworth, Dick Grayson, or Robin, Kate Kane, Batwoman, Guardians of the Universe, not to be confused with the Guardians of the Galaxy, <laughs> uh, Etta Candy, Iris West Allen, Mira Orm, a.k.a. the Ocean Master. Uh, obviously, a number of subplots would need to take place to effectively introduce the previously unseen characters in a way that makes sense. Uh, in a mid credit scene, Superman and several other leaguers gather to gather the surviving bottled cities in a room of Superman's fortress, discussing the situation with Hal and John. It becomes obvious that new worlds will need to be found for these cities frozen in time, including the Kryptonian city of Kandor. It will take time and a lot of study, but eventually the hope is to give them all a new chance at life in the universe. In a post credit scene, Bruce, Clark, and Diana stand together, looking down at a table inside Wayne Manor. Spread out on the table are blueprints labeled Hall of Justice. Nice. And that brings us to the end of phase one. Well, I think Um, you'd probably have to do a two-part movie for that one. I mean, with all the introductions, I think you'd have to do a part one and part two of that Justice League. I don't know. Let's just do a four-hour Zack Snyder thing with a lot of slow-motion cuts. That's fine. Totally fine. Wow, man, you put a lot into that. Sorry, that was so long-winded. Again, I apologize to our listening audience. If you've stuck with us this long, God bless you. I apologize that it took me a while to realize that you were actually reading something. You know what I mean? I was just rolling with you like you were coming up with it on your own, and I was going, oh, well, that's pretty in-depth. And then I'm like, oh, you're reading. Oh, yeah, I'm reading. You've you've written this down. (laughs) I was totally totally reading notes. Uh, Yeah, I had all all that stuff stuff written out. so when you, yeah. you asked me to like prepare, you know, like, like, you know, we were like, Hey, let's talk about this. And you're like, and, and think about what you do. I was like, yeah, you know, I think I'd probably, you know, maybe, you know, do this. And you're <laughs> like, no, I'm going to do this. You know, you put pen to paper, man. That's this is, awesome. this is actually my resume. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sending yes. this to Warner brothers tomorrow. Well, you know what? They, they could use it, you know? So that's awesome though. You know, I mean, I think, obviously you know you and i are enthusiasts for these characters these comics and you know that's all they need they just need someone who's an enthusiast who you know who who can think that way who has the education with it who's interested and then you've always said this then the studio has to get out of the way the produ- the the warner brothers has to get out of the way and let Absolutely. them roll 
Yeah. You know, let your creators tell the story that they want to tell. All right. I, I get it. You know, you've, you, you're investing money in this thing. So the producers are going to be antsy about, you know, what the product is they're putting out. And so they're, they're going to want to do test audiences. And, and so of course things are going to change based on, on what they think the test audience is seeing and how they're yeah. responding. But ultimately it's got to come down to what the writers and the director you know what what is their vision for this movie Absolutely. what is what is their vision for this character and, and back them up yeah uh, i mean it, it just it it makes no sense when you when you keep coming in and and making changes to you know what it, whatever it is that that a director or a, a writer is trying to do with with this story uh because then it becomes some you know it, I mean, the, the most obvious example in recent years would be Justice League, yeah. right? You had Zack Snyder. He was in there. He was doing his thing. And sadly, you know, it was tragic that he had to step away for, you know, very personal reasons. But then to bring in Joss Whedon and to completely uh, do a 180 on what Zack Snyder had done, uh, I mean, you're just you're undercutting everything that that could have been well it's, and it's it's disrespectful i mean honestly it's it's disrespectful to what he, he was doing i just to me it's just insane you know but that is you know maybe this discovery president here has uh has that same uh or ceo has that same thought process here with the batwoman thing you know it's just like our batgirl thing you know it, there's gonna have to be a change um but until that time um you know we might get a flash movie but we're we're all kind of in limbo here about what's to happen next. Cavill's out, right? He's not going to do Superman anymore. See, okay, so that's that's the thing. Like, uh, I thought he was perfect as Superman. I really I liked did him too. Yeah, I thought he was fantastic. I would love to see him play Superman again. But with everything that's that's going on, and if they're if they're really if they are genuinely trying to get a real cinematic universe off the ground, they need to decide if they're going to do away with everything that's come before and just start over yeah or if they're gonna i mean it, at this point i feel like it would be hard to pick and choose and say all right this counts this doesn't uh we're only going to count the first wonder woman because the second wonder woman underperformed uh we're counting aquaman we're going to count shazam let's see how black adam does before we decide how that's going to go right it's just like make a decision all right well, and, and honestly, they may not very, I mean, Gal Gadot, you know, Jason Momoa, Henry Cavill, fantastic. They're all fantastic. You know, Ezra Miller would have been good, you know, if we could see him more, you know, and see what, we'll see what happens with this movie. Um, but unfortunately, he's just been overshadowed by his uh, challenges in the media. So it's just like, you think that name, you're just like, mm, you know. <laughs> yeah you know we'll see you know but i i don't know i mean between the two choices um obviously a long-term plan of revamping would be great but you know maybe maybe you stick with what you've got and you just have better content you, know, you have better writing you have you know you put more money into it and you have the creative people coming up with storylines like they had in titans you know things that they're they're really good at um yeah i don't know but uh, but man, we have covered it. We have absolutely covered this. This is this is good. 
This is like one of those conversations you and I would have at that holiday meal right there. Do you, you want my face too? Right now? No. <laughs> I, I haven't gone in, I haven't gone in depth in anything phase two, but I've, I've got some ideas. You know, I'm thinking we've got to have Flash and Aquaman have to have their solo films. A third Superman is a must. Of course. Uh, another Batman would have to happen, but focus on the Batman family more oh. than just Batman himself. Okay. Um, you know, because we've already got Robin, we've got Batwoman. Let's introduce Batgirl. All right. Maybe spoiler. Uh, maybe Huntress. You know, let's let's throw Huntress. some throw some folks in there to make sure that we know that Batman is not just a lone figure in Gotham. That he has yeah. his family that that he works with. Yeah, I think that's important. Um, got to have another Wonder Woman. Uh, yeah. You can't give Sinestro a yellow ring without following up with you the Green Lantern. You got to follow up that jazz for the sure. The Green Lantern Corps has to go to war with the Sinestro Corps. That one, that would be a big one. Um, it's it's a huge universe. There are infinite possibilities. Uh, you know, with with the whole thing with the cloning of Superman, we've done Bizarro, but gotta let's Superboy. bring Superboy. Superboy, got to do Superboy, it. Superboy, that's that's the the improved Cadmus. clone. And yeah. so. You know, what I would want to do is is do something similar to what uh, Young Justice did at the beginning of that, where you've got a Teen Titans movie that introduces Superboy. Yeah, I like that. Um, you know, maybe maybe introduce, uh, you know, when we have Flash and Aquaman, we have side characters of a kid Flash or uh, or maybe that's a post credit scene or maybe like an Aqua lad who is also you know, a student who, yeah. who is uh, under Aquaman's tutelage or whatever, but you've got these, these sidekick characters who come together and, you know, they decide, you know what, if the grownups can have their own team, why can't we? And so then you've got a Teen Titans movie that actually, you know, makes sense as a Teen Titans movie. It's just because they're actually teenagers. Let's, let's get real teenagers in here. Like I'm saying at this point, you know, by the time phase two comes along and you get a Teen Titans movie, Dick Grayson would probably be what 14, 15 years old. Yeah. What is what is so wrong with actually casting kids in these parts? I mean, I know it's harder. Now there's a lot of good kid actors there. We know that from Harry Potter. You know what well, I mean? But so. but as far as like having minors play the roles, the, the reason they avoid that is because you know, if it's an, someone over 18, you can make them work the hours and and not worry about like the rules for having minors on set. But yeah it just makes more sense to to play it right and yeah. i don't know that those are my thoughts um again got real real long-winded there that's good though man it's awesome um so we'll we'll see how they really do it it's probably so, not going to be you know completely disappointing <laughs> no well hopefully it'll be something i mean you know just something to revamp it well let me ask you this so are we coming up on the 30th episode that's right this uh as we wrap up today is 29 next week will be our 30th episode mm. and it will be our season finale there you go so we need to come up with some kind of cliffhanger to leave folks uh oh, yeah. on edge like a who shot jr kind of thing before yes. we come back for season two <laughs> yes totally <laughs> a cliffhanger I'll probably right. be the one left left hanging on the cliff there for a little bit. <laughs> I'm afraid of heights, so I'm going to let you do that. Um, any other thoughts before we uh, wrap up? No, it's been great. Great. Love to hear everything you wrote down. You know, it's awesome. That's really cool. 
All right, listeners, uh, thank you for sticking with us this long. This this has been one of our longer episodes, I think. Um, if you have your thoughts about what Warner Brothers could or should do with these amazing characters that come out of DC Comics, please share that with us in comments. Leave your five-star reviews. Uh, comment on anything. We love to, to see what you have to say about us, about the show, uh, anything in general. Uh, we would love to share those thoughts right here on the show with all of our other listeners. So uh, until next week, until our season finale, thanks for listening. Have a great whatever it is, wherever you are. Mm-hmm.